Take a deep breath and let it out. You might not know it, but indoor air quality is a topic that affects all of us. At Renew Air, we're on a mission to educate listeners on indoor air quality and the factors that impact it. Welcome to Indoor Air Quality IQ. Hello and welcome to Renew Air IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You podcast brought to you by Renew Air. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Moody, and today we're talking about smart controls for residential spaces. What are residential spaces? We will find out in just a few minutes. But first, I want to bring on our special guest, Ross Trithui. is the founder and lead engineer of TE2 Engineering. He's also the home technology expert on this old house. And Nick... Agopian is VP of Sales and Marketing of Renewer. Thank you both for being with me today. Good to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Very excited to be doing this podcast with Ross. Very. I'm really excited too, Nick. So before we get into that conversation, can I have each of you just kind of give a brief bio before we dive deeper? Sure. Yeah, I guess. Well, you already gave me the intro, Ross Fidui. I'm a professional engineer based in Boston, Mass, and. um, we really are focused on high-performance HVC systems. That's our kind of our bread and butter, um, and we're trying to bring indoor air quality and you know the indoor environment and making sure that these you know spaces are thermally comfort comfortable for everybody uh, and making sure that they're going to be healthy for the long term. So uh, that's uh, that's a little bit about me. For myself, my name is Nick Agopian. I've been in this HVAC industry for a couple of decades. I'm also a member of ASHRAE Standard 62.1 and 62.2. So I'm very excited to talk about resimercial applications, uh, but more importantly, the controls associated to resimercial applications. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So we talked about resimercial. We just heard you say that, Nick, as well, which is really a fun word. So let's talk about what actually is resimercial. So it's an interesting word. At first, when I heard that word, I had to Google it to make sure it's really a word. And it actually is a word. And what that means when it comes to HVAC applications is residential, for sure. And that could be single family or multifamily, but also small commercial applications. These are like the nail salons and strip malls or small little boutiques and strip malls where technically you could use a residential product for that application as long as that residential uh, product is um, commercially certified under UL and ETL. So now we've defined residential side of things. Let's move into the smart controls because we're talking about, of course, on this episode, smart controls for residential spaces. So what exactly (laughs) are smart controls? What do we need to know? So, I mean, smart controls uh, covers a lot of territory there. So, you know, the way I think about it is, um, commercially in the larger commercial buildings, um, beyond the resimercial market, there've always been demand control ventilation and demand control ventilation is a way to basically ventilate spaces when you need to ventilate those spaces to a certain air, you know, as in terms of a certain amount of CF at medium, getting a certain amount of air exchange in that building, um, when I need to, but residentially that's been lacking. It's basically been, okay, set it on the speed and, you know, hope that you get enough ventilation air or potentially have a manual boost mode that you hope that the occupants remember to hit. Um, so it was kind of like this, you know, set it and forget it, but hope that you get it right. And what's changed now is that there are now controls that are available um, and have come down dramatically in price to allow the space to be ventilated properly. And I think about this autonomously, meaning running this behind the scenes 
when you know kind of set and forget it but making sure that the controls are in place to actually ventilate the house or the building properly um, without having user input so if i have a humidity spike in a bathroom hey i can put in a humidity sensor to monitor the bathroom so when my kids don't run the bath fan it actually kicks on the bath fan or the erv to, to boost mode right to higher speed um, there are situations where we can monitor co2 carbon dioxide which we off gas and we can run the ventilator based on the co2 level in the space we can get into VOCs, particulate matter. We can we can get into all these different things, these proxies, and pick them and say, hey, when they reach a certain threshold, I want to ramp the unit up or provide more ventilation. So that's what's great about it is that if we can get to that type of system, the non-technical people that don't understand how these systems work don't have to understand how they work. They just kind of work behind the scenes. So, Ross, being an engineer, you obviously are very well-versed and enmeshed in where this technology is heading. But sure. what about the average homeowner or client, what type of knowledge base do they come to you with? Well, that's a, that's a big question. So yeah, they come from all different walks of life um, with different budgets, different problems to be solved. Um, our business in particular, we usually have you know a couple of different, um, let's say, uh, markets that we serve. We have the new construction market where we have developers, architects, and owners that are trying to build a new home for themselves or potentially a new home for a client. Um, and so that's one market where it's it's unique because we can start from scratch and do it right from the get-go. Uh, then we have the retrofit market, which is we have an existing building. They might be doing a remodel, an addition, et cetera, and they're trying to figure out, hey, how do I get better interior quality into that building? Uh, and then there's the, hey, I've got a problem. I don't know what it is. I feel lethargic and sluggish in my home. I have headaches or this or that. Can you just come and just take a look and you know deploy your monitors and figure out what the heck is going on and what, what what's a kind of a, a cost-effective way to get better air quality into, the, into that building. And so those are kind of like the three different markets that we come to. And the, 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 you know, the people that come to us have all different types of degrees and other different types of backgrounds. Some are doctors, some are just mechanics, so, you know, all different walks of life um, across the spectrum there. When you talked about a few of those examples there, I mean, some very serious and potentially life-threatening. Can you dive deeper into that with regard to just how important this can be for our daily lives? Yeah. So, I mean, we could break it down in a couple different ways. One way is life safety. And so, for example, if you have a gas-burning appliance in your house, let's say it's a, um, a gas furnace, gas boiler, a gas stove, if you have anything that burns the gas in your house, or it could be oil, it could be propane, right? It's something that's fossil fuel burning. There's always a concern for carbon monoxide, right? Not carbon dioxide, which we breathe out, but carbon monoxide. That's the colorless, odorless, tasteless gas. And so there are projects where we've been um, asked to come into. We install a low-level CO detector in the space. And we start seeing that it goes off. And we're wondering, why is the CO detector going off? And in one particular example that's front of mind for me is the homeowner had a cracked heat exchanger in their gas furnace. And so they had low levels of CO being produced all the time, every time that heat exchanger was active, every time there was a heating call and that gas furnace was on, heating the building, a little bit of that combustion gas was actually being introduced into the airstream and being brought into the house. The thing is, most people don't understand this, that the carbon monoxide detectors that are on everyone's ceiling in everyone's house that's UL rated is not able to actually beep unless the PPM of CO goes above 30. So it's there to make sure you don't die, like life safety, which is the important part, but you could still be living in an environment that might be 10, 12, 29 parts per million oh. of CO, and you don't even know it. And they've got headaches and they've got all these issues going on. 
And it's just because they had a crack in their heat exchanger and nobody could figure out why, right? Nobody could figure out, you know, what, what was causing the issue. And it was our little CO detector that, d- that discovered that. So there are like life safety and health implications within record, of course, like those. You could, exp- you could go to radon. You could go to all these other things that are in our, our air. And a lot of people aren't really focused on it because it's not sexy to talk about. It's not fun, you know, to say, hey, you have a radon problem in your house. You want to put a radon mitigation system in. Or, hey, you have a cracked heat exchanger. You got to fix your you know, furnace. But these things are important. And especially as we build tighter and tighter homes, now we, we now trap the contaminants in there, right? It's not like an old house that leaks that diffuses the air, you know, and, uh, and vapor through it. Now it's, now you've got the ultimate Petri dish, right? You've got a house that's sealed up nice and tight. You trap everything inside. So clearly we're talking about, you know, life saving potentially with the systems that would be in place, uh, as you just discussed, Ross. So let me ask you this, what systems are available right now to take care of some of these issues? For indoor air quality, you really gonna be focused on three systems, right? And the three systems are source capture, that's kitchen exhaust systems to get all the contaminants off the cooking surface and get it outside. You also have bathroom exhaust to get the moisture and the odors in bathrooms and get that outside. And then radon exhaust systems, if you have a radon problem potentially in your basement or in a slab, okay? The next thing is then filtration, making sure that we have MERV 13 filters or above is where we try to standardize in our designs. Sometimes that means that we have a standalone air cleaning system, um, but really filtration is the second pillar. And the third pillar is general ventilation. And that's making sure that I'm getting stale air out of the building and getting outdoor, quote unquote, fresh air back into the building and doing that as energy efficiently as possible. That typically lends itself to an ERV system, right? An energy recovery ventilator. And so those are the three pillars that we focus on in our business, making sure the IEQ is going to be fine inside every house and building that we work on. So let's get down to the nitty gritty and talk about costs because clearly, as you mentioned before, potentially life-saving systems that can be set in place. But what are we looking at from a financial standpoint? How much do smart control systems run? Yeah, so smart controls depends on the size of the building, complexity of the building, how many systems we're kind of interfacing with. Um, There are now switches uh, that are on the market and that have sensors built in for $100 a piece. Um, and so you can deploy some of those in a building. So that's going to be a couple hundred dollars. You have IAQ monitors that now are consumer friendly, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi enabled that monitor all the things we talked about. And so those are, you know, in the couple hundred dollars, $300, $400 range. Um, and so systems are going to be anywhere from low hundreds to a couple thousand dollars, depending on size and complexity. You know, Ross, you mentioned something that's interesting here, cost. What is the cost of something? Um, and then there's also, what is the cost of not doing something, which is also important? Uh, so yes, there is a cost to it, and um, but what's important is what are the health benefits behind those incremental costs? And I think those absolutely outweigh any material costs that might have to go in, because you are talking about hundreds of dollars, you're not talking about thousands of dollars. Uh, however, in order to mitigate the general ventilation and and maintain these really low steady state concentrations of particulates and gases and pathogens, you are using energy recovery. And what's critical about that is you recapture the energy. You've already spent money to temper that air. So might as well use that energy and re-temper the outdoor air that's coming in. So what does that mean? Uh That means there is going to be a payback. So whether you're going with a basic system that's low in cost and you get a payback that could be two to three years, uh, or you increase complexity. 
and and the cost goes up. So now maybe you're looking at paybacks more in the three to four or four to five years. But when you're looking at the total life cycle of a home, uh, you're talking about 25 years, you're talking about even 30 and 35 up to 50 years. So anything after that payback period actually is money that's going back into your own pocket. So there is a cost, but it's very, very small. And when you take these incremental costs and amortize them over a 20 or 25 year mortgage, you are truly talking about pennies per day. So what is the value mm -hmm. of that? Huge in order to protect your family and improve cognitive function and health. We talked about those pros, we looked at the costs, but any cons, what are some disadvantages maybe with having a smart controlled home or building? So, I mean, one of the negatives is um, when you do smart controls, uh, there's always a concern of calibration of the devices, making sure that the devices are properly calibrated, that they're going to work um, correctly behind the scenes. And also, as you have multiple steps in the chain, meaning that if this sensor sees an IQ event to turn on this relay, to then turn on this ERV, et cetera, there are more uh, potential failure points in that system that if you kind of, if you break the chain, the communication signal is dropped. So, um, so there's some reliability concerns, especially a lot of these are Wi-Fi uh, or Bluetooth enabled. So, um, you know, I think that is one uh, one negative to point out. So, wrapping up here, uh, Nick, I want to pose this to you as well as Ross. Where do you see the industry headed in the terms of air quality, and then how does that relate to other First Nations? Go ahead, Nick. So. In comparison to other First Nations, what we find is that the United States standards, which is adopted by code, is amongst the lowest when comparing to other First Nations. The pandemic was definitely something that was terrible, without a doubt, but it did help us understand something. And what that is, is that there could be something in the air that you can't see, taste, smell, or touch that could potentially kill you in two weeks. So the question about indoor air quality now is yes, safety and health and building resiliency, but there's also the indoor air quality aspect and indoor air quality becomes paramount to what Ross was touching a little earlier. And, and that's how our bodies react with the indoor environment. And what's going to occur is an increase in the amount of outdoor air that's being brought in, but that goes against decarbonization or looking at lowering the environmental footprint of house or, or residential or even commercial and institutional structures. So energy recovery is going to be paramount in, in, in recapturing the already uh, tempered air, whether it's cooled or dehumidified or heated and humidified and tempered the outdoor air that's coming in. But to what Ross touched on where these structures are so tight today that we are basically living in our own juices and, 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 and the byproducts of the activities that we have indoors, where ventilation is no longer just a number that's sitting in some code book somewhere where we all follow, whether you're a consulting engineer or a contractor. But what will happen is we're going to have an increase in the amount of ventilation rate that's coming in to change the air within the space. But this boost mode that Ross touched on becomes important such that when there's an activity indoors, and that can be anything, you could be deep cleaning, you could be cooking, you could be looking at arts and crafts with your children, or it could be poker night with cigars with your friends. 
whatever it may be, but some activity that increases the indoor contaminants. And in order not to allow it to distribute throughout the house, these sensors will monitor it, sense it, and then provoke some activity, which is what Ross alluded to, called boost mode. And this will allow you to increase the ventilation rate, lower the steady state concentration of these contaminants, and offer the indoor air quality for, yes, safety, but better health as well. That's right. That's right. And the other thing, too, to keep in mind is that the energy codes in this, this country are going to tighter and tighter construction. So one of the things that people don't understand is that as you build tighter and tighter and tighter, which is phenomenal for energy reasons, you now have more, you put more impetus, more onus on the ventilation system. And when people talk about HVAC, they think of heating and they think of air conditioning. They don't think about ventilation. They don't think about the V in HVAC. And so it's going to be more critical for our industry to understand that we have to put the right type of ventilation systems in our buildings, especially when we build super airtight, like the way we're going across this country with the codes. There's a, I'll just say one thing here. There's a, a saying where, um, which is used within people in our industry, build it tight and ventilate it right. But it's more <laughs> build it tight, ventilate and control right. Yeah. Well yep. said. As we're wrapping up here, a lot of people might be hearing this and have more questions, want more information from both of you. Do you have any places you can send them if they are looking to learn more about our conversation today? Ross? Sure. Um, yeah. So, well, we try to post as much as we can through social media and through our website. So um, te2engineering.com is our website. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram as well. Um, that's at, at Ross Tret on Twitter and at Ross Trethewey, T-O-H, or T-O-H, sorry, at Instagram. Thanks for that, Ross. I think that uh, every application is different. And at the beginning, Ross kind of alluded to that. You, We don't know what we don't know. All we know is that people may call and say, I have a problem. Or you have some people that are a little bit more proactive and will say, I know there's potentially a problem and I'd like to do something. So it starts with contacting yeah. people like Ross and, and evaluating the situation. And then at that point, contacting us in order to mitigate what Ross may design. So you can reach us at renewair.com or you can reach us on our 1-800 number to be able to help you install what Ross may design and engineer. Perfect. Yep. Ross Trothui, founder, lead engineer of TE2 Engineering. He is also the home technology expert on this old house. And Nick Agopian, a VP of Sales and Marketing of Renew Air. I want to thank both of you for being here today. Pleasure talking with you. Enjoy this conversation. I'm sure people will want more answers. So I'm glad we kind of laid the foundation for them to learn more. So thank you both again for your time. Awesome. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Renew Air IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Of course, subscribe for additional episodes of this podcast. And we hope to see you soon. I'm your host, Michelle Don Mooney. Thanks again for joining us. And we'll see you next time.